0: Welcome to The Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendrea, founder of The Logistics Tribe, and today we dive into the possibility to increase truck driver satisfaction and boost truck utilization with better planning tools and smarter algorithms. Our guest today is Mark Farkas, co-founder and chief technology officer of AI Fleet, a vertically integrated technology-enabled trucking company that was founded in Austin, Texas in 2020. Host of today's show is Jonah McIntyre, just like Mark, a serial founder and expert in the field of technology and road transportation. So naturally, this episode turned into a very interesting, wide-ranging discussion about the business model of trucking and how it can be improved by technology in a way that benefits both the business and the drivers. Please enjoy.
1: Mark, it's so exciting to get you on here. I've known you for years now. I'm really excited uh, to see what you're going to tell us about your company, everything you've been doing. Maybe we go and kind i of back in time, and you can give us a very quick picture of how you started AI Fleet. And then we may talk about your earlier history uh, right after that. So, what, what was the foundation story of AI Fleet?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, and I'm glad to be here. Um, so, it's it's quite a long story, but I, I, I try to cut it to be really short. So, I graduated as a computer scientist and with an interest in solving computationally hard problems. And I started working as a software engineer. At a major investment bank, but I realized quickly that this is not my mission. So I enjoyed working with very smart people around me, uh, but overall, the le- amount of legacy code base and very rigorous processes killed me. Killed the excitement uh, for me in, in the software development. So I, I turned to academia and, and I started doing my PhD about heuristics and heuristics to solve NP-hard combinatorial optimization problems. And this is where I was introduced to one of the largest carriers in the European Union. Uh, they're called Bobbers, uh, and I was introduced by my good friend, Professor Peter Feldeshi. And back in the day, they had around uh, 4,000 trucks, and, 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 and they were in the FTL business, and they realized that they can no longer scale their planning operations without our software assistance. So they looked around the market, and they immediately realized that there were many software solving uh, tangentially similar problems in distribution planning. and parcel delivery, but there were no good planning solutions in international FTL. So they, they began talking to us to create a solution from the scratch. This was an ambitious project, but it later turned out to be quite a successful one. And later we founded a startup called uh, Nexogen, which was acquired by, by, by Transparion and then Trimble. And it was a SaaS solution providing large truckload carriers with planning software. What we learned there though is is, is basically the, the key lessons and key takeaways at Nexigen uh, were the ones that that inspired us to create the AI fleet and uh, later during my my, my career at Nexigen, I have met with my current co-founding partner who's also by the way Mark, but with a C. He was in management consultancy and uh, we were dealing with the same client and and, and we, we roughly had a similar idea about what is wrong with with, with trucking as an industry and why trucking carriers and large carriers actually fail to scale. And basically, this was the reason why we started creating our own vertically integrated technology-enabled trucking company, which is AI Fleet, which was founded like three years ago. So it's a relatively fresh company. So in a nutshell, that's the story. If we sort of unpack a couple of things he said there.
1: So AI Fleet, you described as a vertically integrated trucking uh, trucking provider, trucking fleet. And earlier, you described your secondary and tertiary education focused on NP-hard problems and combinatorics. So, how did those two things come together? What, what was it about your technical background that allowed you to create first a successful technology company uh, in the form of Nexogen and lead that to a to an exit, and then take what you learned there and apply it to
2: AI Fleet? I think that's at least two questions in your questions. So. I try try to answer that. So I think one of one of the key challenges that trucking companies face is how they work. Uh, they are they are structured in a way that they are separated into into departments with, with with specific functional goals. And these are basically silos and one of the silos is 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 actually the the sales part and we could call the second one planning. And planning is where we started working with with large trucking companies. Planning is actually, it seems like an easy problem, but it's it's notoriously hard from a mathematical point of view, because this is where you need to assign trucks to particular orders uh, that were already contracted, or, or maybe they were not contracted, but on the spot market. And uh, you need to consider a lot of constraints, and and this is where the complexity is coming from. And and this is this is one area which can be modeled by classical operational research tools uh, that I had experiences in. So that was that was one of the reason uh, why we thought that initially it's a good idea to build a software, and and we wanted to stay within the software domain, uh, but we also later also find out that it's actually very hard to successfully sell and integrate software in the trucking space. And uh, if you allow me to give or or highlight a few thoughts about why I think that that's actually hard, our software uh, solved the the core business problem of of carriers, which is planning. And uh, we realized that it's not enough to have a killer product in trucking space, but you need to change the mindset of people in the industry as well. And you oftentimes need to change the business model itself. And this is notoriously hard as it involves change management and and a lot of consultancy. And on the other hand, trucking companies are, I'm sorry to say that, but most of them are not good buyers of software. And essentially, they are not good buyers of management consultancy. So this is why it's extremely hard because they need to change on an organizational level. They need to change on, on a business level and they need to... Uh, integrate a new technology into their decision-making pipeline. So uh, we had successes, but like let's say I would say the the results were were mixed in the sense that we truly solved their planning challenges, but then suddenly they realized that they they have a lot of other bottlenecks in in their order to cash pipeline, which still needs to be addressed. And- so and
1: when you say we, you're referring to your first company, Nexogen, right? Yeah. yeah okay. that's so if I understand correctly here, you've got this background in solving hard planning problems. That's where you head into your fir- with your first company. That's where you head into contact with some of the largest fleet owning and operation companies in Europe. So these people like Wobbers, what you discover there is that they've divided their company into departments quite, quite naturally. One department's called planning. That's where you interact with them they have other departments such as sales or maybe operations. But this is where you start to kind of your contact with these companies starts to uncover a more nuanced view of what they need, because you're, you're saying, well, it's not that they need better planning in isolation. It's that better planning in isolation leads to change management across these departments. And when done properly, a fundamentally different business model. So it's a sort of change management at the how do we do our work on a day-to-day basis and also the change at the level of what is the purpose of our company and how do we make money? How do we make differentially better returns on our investment compared to our our competitors? And so you start getting in contact with this bigger picture from your perspective at NextGen, at your first company that you built and you're, you closed out there saying that compared to sort of your what you saw was possible and maybe even your ambitions, you sort of successful with that company, but not. But it, you were realizing that the limitations on it was that the buyers of technology and logistics companies are not very sophisticated and they're not really willing to see through that profound level of change that you thought was necessary to get the the best return, to get the best out of these technologies?
2: I think it's fair. I, I, w- I would say that some of them are really sophisticated and some of them right. have the technology, technological prowess to implement very sophisticated and advanced technology in, into their decision-making pipeline. Where I think the problem is, is, is more like what is harder? Is it harder to steer a very large ship uh, into completely new waters and, and try a completely different business model? Uh, because look, we, we think that trucking is is the way how most trucking companies approach it is, is fundamentally broken. Uh, and, and you can see it uh, when you take a look at the, the social position of truck drivers and the driver turnover and the driver shortage and all these kind of problems inherent with, uh, with the trucking industry, not just in the US, but also in Europe. So there's something broken in the business model of companies where you see the kind of fragmentation, uh, what, what you experience in, in, in trucking. Also, there must be something broken if you think about that trucking companies uh, fail to exhibit an, an economy of, of scale. And yeah. we, haven't, we haven't really seen uh, so far a truly scalable trucking company. And, and I had a lot of time to think about why this is happening of course, I, when I had a discussion with VC with, with, uh, people, I, I also had to refer to this. And so I, I had a little time to crystallize the idea why this is happening. And I think the, the fundamental difference between trucking and, and many other industries is if you have a large enough operation, usually in other industries, uh, you're able to uh, have a better efficiency of producing one uh, single unit of economic output. Uh, Whereas in trucking, the situation is a little bit different. So, if there's a mom and pop trucking company, no matter how inefficient they are, if they are at the right place at the right time with the right driver hours, uh, they are able to undercut you in in certain deals. So, it's not like you have an inherent advantage of just by a a larger. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is something that you and I have talked about at length in the past, and that is pretty close to my heart too, that I, I keep my radar open at all times to changes either in the regulatory environment, uh, the physical equipment, for example, maybe driverless trucks might introduce such a change, or the uh, to back office technology or the sales channel technology. But something may come along which enables economies of scale. What we see today is some version of almost diseconomies of scale that that at the very large end we see in, in many cases lower um, net margin achieved than – the mid-sized companies are smaller companies. So if you if you go see folks like DB Schenker, DHL, GeoDis, you know these are very either not profitable or very very razor-thin margin uh, companies. Which standard economics or most industries would say that there's an economy of scale that kicks in, and whatever it costs you to get to a hundred units of whatever service produced or or trucks moved, it will be easier for you to either win or execute or uh, kind of lower cost to execute the next hundred. And we just don't see that in trucking. It's one of the most profoundly important um, elements of that of that sector. So did you find it with AI Fleet?
2: Well, you know, it's. I think it's pretty early to say that we have found it, but at least we can say that we solved some elements of it that were so out there that we experienced it with all of our clients before. So I give you an example. If you, if you go and, and see how planning looks like at any large carrier, uh, no matter if they are in the US in, or, or in Europe, what you will find is that uh, because most of the loads were were, were contracted by, by sales, so they work with a fixed pool of loads and they work with, uh, of course, a fixed pool of trucks to more or less... And uh, what you what you often see is that some of the trucks, they are unable to pair them with the loads uh, that they have, and some of the loads they are unable to find a good match a truck that actually can take that load. So while most of these uh, loads are of course taken, there are there are dangling loads and there are dangling uh, trucks almost all the time. And if you think about that, in terms of percentage that that can even be as high as five uh, percent uh, of their trucks. Waiting empty uh, for a load, five percent of their loads uh, without a proper truck. That is actually their their margin, uh, which goes directly into the trash. And we think the reason because this happens is due to the the business model they choose and the silos. So, what we solve that uh, what we solve that AI fleet is to come up with a with a business model that do not inherently have this property and also create a software tech around it that basically solves the holistic uh, decision-making for this business model. And um, to answer to your question, did we solve it? Well, within the past three years, we scaled up pretty significantly. We are no longer a a small fleet. In in fact, we are considered a large fleet by by most of the broker partners that we have. And uh, our numbers, how we measure efficiency, uh, did not deteriorate over how how we started to scale. So, of course, that doesn't necessarily translate into gross margins on this market because there are a lot of elements to it. But if if you look at the the pure numbers, that how efficiently we utilize the drivers' working hours, we are over thirty or up to forty percent higher than the national average in the U.S. And that is the primary
1: metric by which, it, in your opinion, that's the primary metric by which a asset controlling companies should be measured in in trucking is that if you if you run trucks you should be measured by uh, the utilization of the driver's hours
2: Well I mean at the end of the day what really matters of course is profit but sure, sure. That, that, that's very abstract or very far away from the trucking operations so where the trucking operation can have an impact on is yes the the driver's working hours or how much uh, of the the available working hours are actually a paid driving activity.
1: Yeah, because you you have two levers. Sorry, I mean, let's let's make it more specific. The output that you want is free cash flow, but you have two levers to uh, controllable inputs to get to that output, which is how well are you leveraging the resources you have? That would be in this case, you think the most constrained resource is the driver's working hours, um, and then the the other is what is the rate that you earn for each of the driver working hours. So you have a you have a price point element. And you have a utilization element. And I think if I hear you correctly, I, hate, I I think I hear you saying to some degree, look, at very large scale, the price is, is dictated by the market. So the price is, is kind of not going to be, you, it would be very unlikely that you could sustain continuously better pricing than everyone else as you head towards market dominance, because by definition, yep. right?
2: Yeah, it's a commodity business. So. yeah,
1: exactly. It's a commodity. It's interesting you say that because very few, most people try to head away from declaring it as a commodity business. And I think one of the things that I find unique about your approach is you say, "Look, the the service is in many respects it's a commodity business, and so the price is going to be what the price is in the market. You can, there's a range, of course. There's some." Um, asymmetry of information sometimes you can che- you can get yourself onto better accounts or whatever but you're always going to have to be as good as the next person on price in order to win the right to do the work so that's just going to be what it is but the way that you get superior returns then is how do you husband the resources that are at your disposal which in your case you think the most constrained resource is the driver time
2: is that right yeah yeah I I think that's correct. So there are there are levers where you have very where you can make an impact like drivers utilization there are levers where of course you can be a slightly better you can you can you can make a slightly better job by let's say uh having a better prediction of rates or whatever but rates actually are governed by 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 market conditions and no matter how large you are even the largest carriers in the US uh are below 1% of the the total addressable market so they are not going to be price makers uh like what is really out there in 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 several other industries so your only option is to basically make sure that you run your assets as efficiently as you can we we believe that's that's the key for for unlocking this this uh conundrum of the inability to scale a carrier and what is really interesting is if you look at traditional carriers basically what a planning optimization does is it tries to minimize costs but the revenue element is already uh, there so how a planning optimizer works is usually takes uh, a set of loads and since those loads were already contracted by the company it tries to assign it to to the drivers Whereas what our technology does is it takes a look at a very, very large pool of loads. We have a unified load board uh, where there's approximately 400,000 loads aggregated on a weekly basis. Uh, But we don't necessarily have to take, of course, all those 400,000 loads. Uh, What we have to do is is to find the ones which are the best match for our driver's schedule. So, because that's that's the key. And and that also points out why AI Fleet is is not for all truck drivers. Because what you will experience at AI Fleet is that yeah, we, we treat you as as humans, humans. That's that's actually our core tenet that we want to humanize tracking. But it's only for drivers who are willing to make the extra mile and are willing to, to run according to the schedule that the the optimizer actually dictates. And in return for that flexibility and for that, let's say someone would say it's a lack of freedom. I, I I see that in the opposite way. You have superior returns and revenue on a truck, which allows us to pay you more, and which allows us to to bring you back to home on time whenever you need to. And uh, these are these are the human elements of of our technology, and this is what allows. I think trucking to be scalable, not just as a business, but as a as a company where human beings drive, and uh, they they yeah. want to have high pay and and they want to have free time with their with their family.
1: Yeah, let, let's come back to that in a moment. I just want to, before we move on to the driver experience, I want to call out uh, something about the description of how you described actually a, a few minutes ago. You described it as a vertically integrated technology enabled. Carrier. We should say that you're a US based carrier. We have many listeners who are, who are outside the US. You're a US focused asset carrier in the truckload space. Now, the vertical integration part, I think, kind of goes by without, without getting attention, but I can go back to it. You essentially are saying that part of the business model problem that bedeviled the people who you, the founders saw prior to starting the company, because you were either management consulting to those to carriers or you were selling them technology providers, those are the backgrounds of your two founders. You saw them dividing up the company in a way that you sold, and then there was a sort of a pause, and then you planned. And you integrate those cohesively. It's an interesting reversal of kind of Conway's law of that the communication pathways in the company will eventually lead to the the necessary divisions in your software or in your product. And you sort of reverse that and said, well, if we are going to have fluid and complete planning of our of our driver time, then that has to be done at the same moment as our sales process. So as, as an organizational structure, you can't have them divided and then expect that you get an optimal solution that, that traverses them. You sort of have to put them together into what you described as vertically integrated. And it means that you're in effect reversing the sales process. You're not selling and then trying to cover the loads. You are looking at a huge pool of available, mostly spot shipments, and then choosing from them with your technology. You're choosing from them in order to construct the ideal path for each of the drivers to follow. Is that, is that right? Yeah,
2: that, that, that's correct. That's correct.
1: That's powerful. And then now if we go to, obviously that, that leads to the figure you gave, 30% greater utilization of the driver time, as in they spend 30% more of their time uh, being paid than, not, than, than compared to the baseline and the industry. And as you said earlier, that has scale in it. So as you grow, you don't have to make any assumptions about achieving better prices than your competitors. You can assume that the pricing is the same, but you're still outperforming them as you get larger and larger, and you have been growing really fast. You transition then into this driver experience. I just want to double-click on this because a lot of the brand of AI fleet is focused on driver. It's what I see, not when I talk to you necessarily, but when I see your public image and how other people think about you as well. When I, when your name comes up as a company, AI Fleet is associated with this driver focus, this driver first, this bringing, making trucking human. I think it's, it's fascinating here, maybe to st- ask you specifically, how do you and your co-founder feel about the yeah. idea of there being a driver shortage? How real is that in the US? And ha- how much of that is, is sort of down to kind of the, we don't pay them enough if we paid them up or if we gave them slightly better working
2: conditions, this would evaporate. Yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting subject. I think you and I both have a very contrarian view of what's the reason of driver shortage. So it's kind of like a, an economic miracle that, that you have a shortage of a resource. And at the same time, the price of the resource is, is not going up substantially. So there, there has to be something happening there. Just looking at the numbers of how many truck drivers we have in the US and how many is, is according to industry analysts uh, are missing and, and looking at the overall utilization numbers then that how, how many loaded miles are we talking about uh, on a weekly basis per truck. If you could improve the utilization of the. US trucks on average where they are at the moment to where AI fleet is at the moment, by having a better business model and and a technological background that allows you to capture the value behind that business model then immediately we would not have a trucking shortage anymore so we would have enough loaded miles driven uh, that is able to satisfy the current needs and i think if you think about that, that that that's actually very problematic because of course if you have more trucks on the roads, that means more pollution, that means more more accidents and more waste created. So by just making the overall in- industry more efficient, you would immediately solve a lot of these very, very uncomfortable problems and side effects associated with uh, the trucking industry. So yeah. I do think that there is no trucker shortage. There is an inability in the industry to make the truck driver's life more comfortable and more efficient. That's the problem, I think. And and to go back to how you approach the business, it's
1: not that it's a regulatory change that's needed. It's not that there's a culture shift that's needed. It's not that there's a... So in other words, we don't just need to be like nicer to drivers and, and, and think of them better. It really is just down to, no, we just need to be more efficient with our driver's time as the most constrained resource. So, be more efficient with the driver's time without a whole lot of other changes, and then it dissolves this kind of
2: current issue. Look, uh, I, I think there is a lot of way to approach the same problem. So, I'm not saying that there isn't any problem with the regulat- regulatory environment, especially if I if I consider Europe, where I had my experience in the past ten years. I mean, some of the the regulatory changes that we had in the past few years is completely against efficiency and and completely against sustainability, yeah. which is which is which is honestly one of the key values of the European Union. But there are of folks- course
1: mobility package. We're talking about mobility package here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe for for folks in the U.S., we could describe briefly mobility package. We're talking about a set of really protectionist measures, if we're if we're honest, that limit the ability of drivers from one member state in the European Union to conduct business as they previously were in other member states. Another way to say that is it stops lower cost Eastern European companies from competing with higher cost Western European companies. Is that a fair summary?
2: Yeah, that's fair. And also, of course, there are problems with the hours of service directive as well. So what I'm trying to say is that we have relatively limited impact on the change we can we can have with the regulatory environment. Uh, we are a technology company, so obviously we we tried initially to make an impact on the industry using technology and and specifically AI and I think one of the also contrarian view and one of the misunderstandings about AI is. AI will not necessarily solve in the very near future the most complex challenges regarding trucking. We will probably not see autonomous trucking in in the next few years. But AI can actually solve a lot of challenges that is still there in in the trucking industry, like the dispatching, like the planning problem, like the ability to solve complex, holistic optimization decision problems. And this is where we have... As of today, the technology and and the means to solve these kind of challenges. And what I'm saying is that if you would do that on a national scale uh, throughout the entire U- U.S., then basically the efficiency increase would be so much that that alone would result in a more sustainable uh, trucking industry. Because we would need less trucks, we would need less truck drivers. So, right, that, that and does- it
1: also and it, it also unlocks a lot of wasted spending that would be available to redistribute to the remaining participants. So for example, if you use drivers' time 30% more efficiently, one would presume that you could also cut them in on some of that uh, economic value so such that the driver is paid better for their time. And I think that the mechanics of the US trucking market does that directly because there's this tendency for drivers to be paid essentially as a as a direct pass through from the paid jobs that they take so whether it's per mile or whether that's waiting time you know paid waiting time in some cases or it's a per job rate or something but it's quite an interesting feature of that trucking market that it's not like they're hourly employees and you gotta up their salary or something on an hourly basis in order to cut them in on the value it's, it's quite linear They if they spend more of their time on paid driving activities, they actually get more
2: money directly in the next paycheck. That's correct. And that's something that we, we will probably not be able to, to to change across the industry. But what I would also like to emphasize that if you think about it, that how unfair is that? So, I mean, the, the yes. risk re- is actually on the truck driver's end. And yeah. Yeah. the actually the truck driver has an impact or, 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 or can have an impact on the actual number of loaded miles that they they can drive but mostly it comes like let's say this is almost like a fixed number after planning so i mean yeah of course you can you can end up worse, uh, but you're not gonna end up better so if your dispatcher or planner is not giving you the loads uh then you're not gonna not gonna drive as much as you want and you're not gonna have as much money at the end of the day as you want and it's not entirely your fault, or at some point I would say it's not your fault at all. So basically, the companies are are pushing the risk of not being able to properly utilize you onto you, and yeah. uh, that's that's I think pretty unique across yeah. all the other industries as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I had spoken to uh, uh, did an interview with uh, Steve Vacheli, who's a, a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania and has written about this at length. also done some congressional testimony on it. And he describes the origin of this dating back to periods where the truck driver was simply out of contact. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that when a driver was driving, we didn't know where they were. You know, The the next time you'd hear from them is when they take a rest break and they would use a payphone to make a, a call back to dispatch to tell them where they were. And there was no data about traffic, for example. There was no data about the health of the engines or the, the, the materials. And so it was a way to sort of hold accountable drivers to do their best and to do their job, essentially. And, and perhaps it wasn't even fair at that time. I mean, I'm not saying it was fair at that time, but that's the origin story of this paying drivers by the miles that they drive in the U.S. Now, you know, you step forward to today we have real time telematics feeds off the vehicles we know exactly what the driver's doing the driver's under the full control of the dispatch down to you know there's really quite a bit of even intention intentional planning around where will you take your breaks where will you where will you park in the evening where do you take fuel how much fuel do you take at that stop maybe you only fill halfway so that it gets you to an even better fueling location and so in that environment it's 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 probably a, just simply abusive to now pass through to the driver a per mile rate when it's 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 out of their control,
2: and it has a very serious impact on 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 truck drivers as a community as well. Uh, because right. truck driving used to have its own ethos and it used to be a job that most truck drivers actually loved, and mm. the amount of control and transparency just became so ambient in the tracking industry and 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 so widespread. That now it's it's not like anymore it used to be in in the seventies or, or the nineties and also you mentioned abusive yes and these practices actually led to the deterioration of truck driving as as a job so it used to be a middle income job in the seventies it's I, I I think it's it's not anymore at least not on a scale so yeah there are instances of uh, well-paid truck drivers in Alaska or, or sure, yeah, yeah of course, you yeah. can name all these kind of exceptions, but this is the exception it's not the rule. So what we are trying to do at AI fleet is, is exactly the opposite. So give you as a truck driver back some of the economic outputs that we were able to uh, free up and create due to our, our, I think, better business model and also better technology. And, um, I'm not saying that you won't be able to find some of the exceptions that where, where where truck drivers are paid more but I think if you if you look at the grand scale of things we are for example giving our truck drivers uh, a minimum guaranteed salary and it's actually part of this package not because we are running a charity of course not but because we believe there's a value in that so there's a value in in you as a truck driver, making sure that you will make money no matter what. And, and part of the risk is on us to execute things well. So right. that puts a little pressure off the shoulders of truck drivers.
1: And as your company grows, so maybe we do just a quick statistics check here. The company was founded three years ago. Where were you at one year, two years, and now present in terms of fleet size?
2: Yeah, that, that's a very good question because honestly, the first two years for me was like a very long dream, so I I I, <laughs> I I seldomly slept too much, and and one of the reason is is of course uh, founding a startup is is quite exhaustive. The other one is is uh, I had a son born, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, congratulations. That, I think thank you. Uh, it, it was, he he's like now too, but that was that was a rough time uh, running these two businesses together. Initially, at at the end of the first year, we were around I think um, twenty trucks or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, right so- now we are at 140 um, right. we, with, a, with, a, with a solid plan to, to to grow to 200 by the end of the year. I had to also tell that the, the spot market out there in the US is probably one of the the, the roughest we have seen well, for a while.
1: Yeah let, let's let's talk about this for a second. So your business, I think it's fair to describe your business right now is entirely or almost entirely focused on spot loads. And that has some um, tie to the business model that you described, because naturally, if you want to pick and choose the loads that you'll accept uh, in order to keep your your drivers at the highest possible utilization to w- within the loop that they want to do, you know, they want to come home someday. So within the loop they want to do, keeping them maximally u- utilized, if you're going to make that choice without angering your customers, you have to be working in an environment where it's not. It's not already sold essentially, where you haven't already committed to do this. And that means that you probably are constrained to spot or only specific types of contractual arrangements where you've agreed on the price but you didn't necessarily commit to to accepting the work. Is that is that fair?
2: yeah I, I think that that that's a very complex question that we we ask ourselves uh often that how how is this going to work in in a contracted environment? what I can tell you is that for a while we have been working uh with with direct to shipper relations as well. of course those are also spots so those are not contracts but uh at least we were able to to capture some more margin that would otherwise uh have went to to brokers. And I think there's plenty of opportunity out there on the market uh, to do that on a larger scale. Uh, As for contracts, this is where advanced analytics and statistics, statistical models can actually help us. So we understand our network and we understand how our network uh, evolves dynamically and, and what are the kind of loads that we will most likely be able to take. And I'm not telling you that it is going to work like 100% of our uh, loads are going to be contracted loads. Of course not, because then th- this will this will surely kill the effect that, that we've been discussing. However, some of the contracts allow you to only specify the rate and, and some aggregated uh, service measures, uh, like how many loads are we committing for a given period of time. And these are the type of contracts that we are seeking uh, to yeah. integrate into our network. Right, and yeah, maybe not all of those contracts will be for AI Fleet. Like, not all of the drivers are for AI Fleet. We believe the market overall is is large enough for players like us, uh, and we might not have like more than fifty percent of contracted loads ever, uh, because of the buffer capacity we need to to have a large enough number of, of of loads to to select the right ones for our trucks. But these kind of contracts allow us to capture a little bit more margin. And let's not forget since at this current market environment at least, they are priced higher than the spot rate, it allows us also to lose some efficiency of the higher prices that the current contracts dictate. So yeah Yeah. like so this is this is very very fluctuating of course and, and it's it's interesting that most of the times the spot rates are not as much lower than contract rates that we have been experiencing in the, in the past 12 months. So
1: yeah, you're in the, you're in an economic for a business that's highly concentrated on spots that would make the last what, six months, seven months, something like that, maybe a little longer, a challenging market because the, well, particularly as a startup. So you have, you have also, you have two things. You have the base rate expectations in on the funding side. So, so anytime you raise money, um, if the the Fed interest rate is higher, that, that creates pressure on the funding side. And then on your revenue side, as spot rates come down, the average shipment that you're filling up that driver's time with is earning less revenue. So it's a challenging environment. But as I understand it, it's still one that you're you're mastering. So sort of you're not having to lay people off. You're not you're not contracting your business. You're in growth no. mode. No, oh, no, no.
2: And in fact we we would still want to grow, but grow has to be Growth has to be careful. So uh, we run our analysis, of course, with the technology where this growth should be coming from. And what we have seen so far is that, yeah, there are parts of the, the country where it is very hard or almost impossible to hire drivers uh, who will make you a, a positive gross margin. But there are places in the U.S. Uh, still where where this is this is more impossible. So even with the the very low prices we we experience today. Uh, drivers from the Midwest and our drivers from the Midwest are, are still able to command a lot higher revenues uh, than the ones, for example, around Austin. So these are, these are also things that we are considering where to focus our recruitment activity, because it also has an impact on gross margins, but it also has an impact on churn, which is, which is a huge cost element as well. So if yeah. you're able to pay those Midwest drivers better uh, then wait, they will stay uh, if Drivers around, like let's say the southern part of the country, are not making as much money. Usually the problem is that they are making at least as much money as they would make at other competitors. But maybe other competitors are able to make that revenue with with, with driving them less because they have contracts. So this is is a very, very interesting market. And Mm -hmm. we need to be very careful at which part of the market we grow. There are of course a lot of other elements that we we started focusing on. So right now the business is at the point where we were able to to consistently increase our our, our gross margin. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the uh, advices we had from from our our latest round from investors is that, yeah. So we always emphasize growth, but in this market environment, you need to have a plan how you reach profitability very soon. And right,
1: right. It's p- profitable
2: yeah. growth, profitable
1: growth, right. Yeah, it, The, I, I mean, we talked at the beginning of the, the show about the fact that there really isn't a strong economy of scale in this sector. What is interesting is there's an economy of scale to get to mid, I think. So, for example, uh, when you buy uh, – if you run a fleet, right, when you buy – when you set up uh, shops to do your own maintenance, when you buy fuel in bulk, when you – Set up even health insurance for any not not just for a trucking company, but for any company. There are economies of scale between being alone and having, say, ten trucks, and having a hundred, and having maybe three or four hundred. It's just that it's you got to really squint hard to sort of get, get a picture that shows you that that keeps going in any linear sense. Uh, otherwise, you, you you would have a situation where. By the time you get to five thousand trucks, you're just unstoppable, right? And you can kind of, and no one who had a hundred trucks could compete with you, and that doesn't seem to be the case. So let me, let me. That's the last section of our interview here. Let me ask you a bit about the competitive landscape. So if we look at trucking today, this is getting quieter now, but it was super frothy with tech-enabled everything, and that was, from what I could tell, that was tech-enabled brokers who were who were trying to. So convoy would be an example. Um, Uber Freight, but then many others, right? Loadsmart and others who were trying to s- serve some of the functions you're describing, m- maybe other things as well um, that that weren't addressed. Then there were tech-enabled carriers, so asset operating um, carriers, and then there were software providers that were offering SaaS essentially, yep. and they were trying to sell to the incumbents in the bid market. And then there was uh, there were incumbents that were trying to so J.B. Hunt investing in their marketplace, for example, C.H. Robinson investing in Navisphere. So when you look at these categories, who do you think is the most interesting? I'm not going to, you know, from from your perspective, who's the most interesting and wh- which of them do you think is, is poses the least viable forward path? So I'm asking, so who, who do you think is the most interesting? Maybe who do you think is the least interesting or is the most of a dead end?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah I hear you. So I mean, I, I can obviously react to the, the software end because I've been selling software to to trucking companies before. So, yeah, that's your first first company, yeah. right? I, yeah. I, I think that's really hard because you have to sell a software that solves an existing problem of an, of an incumbent uh, carrier with an existing business model. And if and, you and at scale, I
1: mean, just to mention one of the things you mentioned earlier, which which in conversations you and I have had over the years is sure, you can sell. You know, you can sell this to some companies, but if you're going to be a software provider, you need to show that you can sell it to larger and larger audiences. And yep. so that means it's not just that you're going to find one or two companies that are willing or or a dozen companies that are willing to transform fundamentally their business model around a, a new technology. It's you have to find hundreds, you know, a hundred, two hundred, a thousand of these companies that are willing to do this and that, as you said at the top of the hour, the the change management and uh, business model transformation just overwhelms the technology benefits and makes it a less attractive business than it would look at the at the onset.
2: Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that, and it's actually super hard because it's not an easy to understand concept. It's not like track and trace that people understand what it's what's what's that all about. And even right. if you understand it, it's easy to misuse it. And let's face it, most of these planning challenges are actually non-existent if you're having like five trucks. So no one no one is gonna buy a, a planning software with with three or five trucks, and that's the majority of 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 the tracking companies. So uh, actually, we knew knew know uh, a few competitors. In that landscape. And what I know about them is they are all struggling with the same challenge of change management and very, 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 very long sales cycles. So yeah, and the impact you can make is actually very much limited on on, on the company itself, where you're selling the software. Like I said, the the revenue was already contracted, so you're only optimizing the cost, hence the impact is relatively limited. The brokerage, I I think the brokerage space, especially the tech-enabled one, was a very hot space uh, mm-hmm. up until recently. Honestly, I'm a bit skeptic about whether this is this is the right approach. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, all of us uh, will try to solve the ch- same challenge of building a scalable logistics company, but maybe the direction is different. And the way I see it, as a, as a broker, you have relatively limited. You can have transparency, but you have a relatively limited influence over how deals are executed and, and logistics is, is mostly about execution. So uh, yeah. even if you have this, it's very hard to come up with very sophisticated decision-making solutions because first of all, you might not have the data. Second of all, you 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 don't have the control over the assets. So you don't know if there are deals in the pipeline uh, of, of that particular truck driver. Uh, so you you're you may be able to come up with very good suggestions but if those suggestions are not executable because of whatever reason maybe the data is incorrect maybe there are uh deals already taken by that truck driver then then those suggestions are are not delivering true value to the to the customer yeah. so yeah
1: you, you're approaching the broker space right now you're thinking you're talking about it as if the planning problem was at the center my understanding of the brokerage space is that it, it's essentially it's a buy-sell operation. So all, all of their revenue really comes from the difference between the buy and the sell rate. That would tell me that it's an information arbitrage business but because mostly it's done transactionally. So it's not like you buy in bulk and sell. You don't buy a thousand lollipops and you sell one lollipop at a time on the school bus. You're doing this transactionally one load at a time and it's information arbitrage. So it's can I know the buy and the sell rate better than the buyers and the sellers know the rate? And can I know the buy and the sell rate maybe better than my competitors? And then at the edge, there's a little bit about being the one that's easy to work with compared to, say the, right, the carrier. I tend to mimic though what you're describing as like the skepticism. I think mean, first off, it's a smaller market. So you know in the US, the brokerage markets maybe 70 billion in revenue, something like that. Seventy billion U.S. dollars in revenue, and the overall trucking market is, you know, in order of magnitude almost larger. So, it, so it's so first off, it's a minority. Second, there's just not a lot of proof on the ground, right? We've had enough time for tech-enabled brokers to show their yep. to show themselves, right? And what we see from the few that have gone public, so uh, Transfix, for example, uh, had to lay off workers, and they're not yet profitable. Uber Freight, uh, if you exclude the Transplace acquisition, and and those numbers still doesn't look uh, strong. It certainly doesn't work, look like it's making a return on the incredible sort of investment that's been made into it. Siege Robinson's done a, a ton of technology investing with very little to show for it in terms of free cash flow. J.B. Hunt has done a ton of investment into marketplace, and yet they would tell you if it was a meaningful contributor to their free cash flow improving and they're not. So you add it all together and I think it's it's reasonable, frankly, to say if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. It would have happened before or at least we would see the early signs of it. and I, I I think you you really just don't see it.
2: Yeah, just reflecting on on the fact you have said, I agree with you completely, so it's it's more like an information arbitrage where we have seen most of these uh, brokers start to move into into this matchmaking service kind of like as an additional service for for their uh, carrier partners. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is why I reflected on, on on that, but I totally agree with you. So if I look at like uh, from, from a shareholder point of view, uh, a high valuation multiple usually comes from uh, a high margin and a high growth and both components right. are important. And uh, what we have seen in the brokerage space is that even if the volumes are high, the margins are relatively low and uh, digital brokers have experienced the tremendous growth in the past 10 years. So that was, I think, part of the reason why so many VCs invested in, in one of these firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still see that the, the, the incumbent players uh, are operating with relatively small margins. What is interesting about trucking space is that a well-run trucking company is not necessarily a low margin business. It can be a relatively high margin business, but it fails to to grow and it fails to scale. So actually, Mm -hmm. the reason why even even well-run and relatively high margin trucking companies have low multiples is because the lack of growth. Because simply their business model and and how they organize the day-to-day operations do not allow them to to scale beyond their their current valuation, which is which is of course governed by their existing maybe even double digit margins. So we 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 see those play around. So
1: yeah, which comes back to the points we've made about the lack of economy of scale. That their success at scale, you know, scale A does not uh, somehow enable them to compete better and get to scale B. It, it sort of returns this this point of. You can yeah, at scale A, you can be a healthy company, but you're just not. You're just never going to be given a, a wind in your sail from having achieved a healthy company at a certain scale to go to the next level, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so what about the income? What about the incumbents? What about the the classic carrier operating companies that are trying to incrementally improve their technology? Do you think that that do you, do you see them as a group that's on track to succeed?
2: Yeah, I mean. It might sound silly, but I, I, I tend to focus on what we are actually doing because I think most of the startups do not fail because their competitors are better than them, yeah, usually yeah. because their business fails and they run out of money. But what I can tell you is, and that's just the gut feeling, that if you're a, a highly qualified software engineer, and, and that, that that's my advice for anyone uh, as a software engineer, then go and work for software companies, go and work for technology companies, because... This is where you will be valued. I greatly yeah. <laughs> believe that 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 trucking companies have have a very very tough time uh, addressing their their target audience, uh, the engineers yeah. that they need to build proper scalable tech. And uh, of course, I'm I'm not gonna uh, come up with names because it's it's like a scale. So there are very very successful tech enabled, like let's say traditional carriers out there. But what we experience when we are integrating with these. Companies and and most of the carriers actually do have do have a brokerage. So so this is why we need to integrate with some of them. Is that the 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 sophistication, the overall sophistication of the tech they provide is relatively limited to where the tech actually is at the moment and what you would experience. Uh, yeah, they're inst- not tech
1: first. They're tech. Yeah. They've they've built a business and now they're they're uh, retrofitting technology to it. And as you said, they have adverse selection, so it's it's tough for them to bring in the right talent, and also they have a whatever you want know, to call it a mindset, a culture that says that technology is optional and the core business is is primary, and they don't see it as the technology is the core business of the future. So
2: one one quick example is is, is what happened with um, U.S. Express and and Valiant, for example. So even if they mm-hmm. spin out the complete tech-enabled part. Ultimately it didn't bring the numbers and later they integrated it back to the original company and later they, they sold it to Night Swift. Yeah.
1: Not, not a success. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe just close out here. Is there anything, you're a two-time founder, successful with your first company, you're on track to have a great success with your, your second company, you built first a techno a software company, a technology company selling to logistics providers in Europe, then you built a asset operating vertically integrated technology enabled uh, carrier in North America. So you have this pretty diverse perspective. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you sort of feel like that needs to be said in the sector, in the space? Any Anything that you're noticing or that you're particularly contrarian on compared to others or that or that you have a unique insight on that you'd like to share with us?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I I mentioned in the meantime what one of that which is about autonomous driving and how this is going to be. I think it, it's it's going to be real at some point. Uh, I really hope it's going to be my my lifetime. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> you want to you want to you want to experience autonomous uh, trucks and hopefully survive the experience? Yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think we discussed that. Um...
1: Well, what what time horizon do you put on it?
2: Yeah, so that that's an interesting take because we have been discussing with with you, uh, large language models and how they were evolving and how how pretty fast uh, everything is happening in that sector. Uh, so,
1: assuming generative AI doesn't take over everything before, before <laughs> beforehand, what what would you what would you expect?
2: Yeah, I I, I I don't think it will. I mean, it will have like it's a tremendous impact, but maybe not not in mm-hmm. autonomous driving. I would definitely not expect it uh, in technologically in the next five years and from, from legislation, infrastructure, all these different kinds in, in the next 10 years. I think the, the problem with, with that is is even though many people will tell you that they know exactly what needs to be done to solve autonomous driving, no one really knows that. So it's it's not like there's there's a pathway to success and all you need to do is to incrementally solve challenges that are hard but are 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 manageable. So one one of the example I, I like to give to people is is the difference between Manhattan Project and uh, building sustainable fusion so or, or quantum computers. So no one exactly knows what it takes to build a scalable quantum computer. Of course we had some ideas but it's very very experimental and maybe we will reach there at some point. But when the U.S. built the first atomic bomb. We knew exactly back that time what it takes to build that, and uh, it was hard. There was a lot of challenges on the road uh, that needs to be solved, uh, but those were manageable in in complexity, as opposed to to something where you don't even know what is the pathway to success. So
1: yeah, w- yeah, we lack we lack a uh, exhaustive theoretical framework for what what are the problem sets that need to be solved, right? So. Yeah. We, we know we know perhaps a fair amount of those, but we don't know how they all fit together then into the real world. So, for example, we could have an autonomous truck, but still not yet have solved, well, how, how do we deploy these at scale? How does it change the legal environment? How does it change our, our labor environment, actually, also? Uh, that's a lot of people to, to be out of work, for example. So, so okay, I hear you. Uh, you think not within 10 years. Um, I'll just go on record here. I would assume by 2035 that we have at least closed sites. So that would mean like yards, you know, warehouse yards, dockyards, if not some specific laneways in Europe and the US, which are running autonomous trucks. And the autonomous part might be tele-operated um, as a fallback. You know, So they, they're autonomous until something spooks them and then they they go to teleoperation or they may be local operated as a fallback. So you have somebody in the cab, you know, playing video games or doing whatever they do in the cab until the system gets spooked and ask them to come, to come up to the front and do something. No, that, would, I, that would be my guess.
2: Yeah. I, I, I do agree with that. So we will see um, more and more sophisticated driver assist systems that are able to do more and more. That's for sure. Right. That, that's what we have been experiencing in the past ten years as well. The only difference is that for me, an autonomous truck is a truck that is completely able to drive and do things without a driver on board or remote or whatever. So it's it's completely autonomous. Otherwise it's like
1: level five without without a fallback to an earlier level. So it's level five without a steering wheel. So you can't go back to level four or level three.
2: That's correct because otherwise you you lack the economic incentives of why you're doing that. So yeah, you still need a human on board. Maybe that doesn't have to be as qualified as a truck driver, but you still need someone. I mean, remote is great as long as you know. When we started this podcast, even we had problems with the connection. So
1: it's the it's a great irony of working in the advanced technology is that you'll you'll try to join a podcast where you're going to talk about autonomous vehicles and AI. And you can't get your microphone to work yeah <laughs> yeah okay that's a good place to to leave it with the the irony and the uh incomprehensible nature of being at the bleeding edge so thanks very much for joining i uh, really appreciate the conversation and looking forward okay. to having another one in the future yeah thank
2: you thank you jonah thank you for having me
0: all right that was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with mark farkas from ai fleet If you enjoyed today's show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris andrea. Until next time.